Jesus is the problem, Bill confessed to me. He thought it might seem strange to me that he found attending a place named Christ Church so profoundly moving with the prayer and music and talk focused on the life and times of the building's namesake and simultaneously be so discombobulated by the theological jargon and whatnot ascribed to the same man. Bill said he was really confused. On the one hand, he was deeply touched, deeply stirred, moved to explore a a large interior chasm he hadn't visited before, one he didn't know even existed inside of himself. But he started visiting that chasm once he had walked into this space. He allowed the experience to wash through him, finding prayer spontaneously spilling out. All this was very new and powerful. On the other hand, he was put off by the idea of God in the flesh. It ran counter to common sense, he said. I just have trouble swallowing the claims of the church. Still, I can't deny that something has grabbed hold of me and, I won't, and it won't let me go. Just the other day, I was startled to find myself thinking of Jesus standing with me in the subway of all places. And when I caught myself thinking this, I was embarrassed because of course I know better than that. I know better than to fall for some religious hokum. Bill, Bill is a smart and very successful professional. And what I recognized was that he was not in control of this new development. After a minute or so, I told him that I thought Jesus was a problem too, a big problem. In fact, Jesus was probably, probably the biggest problem the church had. Maybe Bill might think that sounded strange coming from a minister. Fact was, I said, if Jesus wasn't a problem for people, even so-called Christian people, they hadn't really heard the complete message. Jesus was a problem, and he still is a problem. That he was a problem can hardly be denied. Even an atheist would agree to that. We just heard one of the four versions of the last days of his life. He certainly stirred up a lot of confusion. One day he's hailed as a great man, and the next he's denounced as a pariah, or worse, a a treasonous criminal, so dangerous he's got to be put to death. His crime? Well, you know, it's sort of hard to pin down exactly. Was it simply a case of mistaken identity, a grand misunderstanding? He was hardly the leader of an insurrection of which he was accused. He wasn't easily categorized. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, saw this, yet yet Pilate was a pragmatist when it came to keeping the so-called peace. And the best the Jewish king Herod could muster was a bit of abusive ridicule. And the religious leaders of the day, did they truly see a dangerous threat to their power? 
It's, it's hard to fathom just how the carpenter from Nazareth prompted this dramatic response, notwithstanding our theories about his agitating politics. In the end, those probably flipped the switch on his ultimate demise. Whichever way we turn here, one thing is very certain though. Jesus was a big problem. And the irony, or better said perhaps, the simple tragedy was that his friends found him to be a problem as well. A big disappointment and a big problem. They all must have wondered why they had been so schnookered by his charisma after allowing himself to be captured without at least an honorable fight, then meekly walk into his fate like a lamb to the slaughter. Had they followed him so it could all come down to that ignominious end? You know, maybe it was his friends who had the biggest problem of all with Jesus. Back in my conversation with Bill, he said that if he could just separate the life lessons, you know, the deep spiritual insights from the disorienting claims made by and about Jesus, he'd be a lot more comfortable. Bill would be a lot more comfortable. Jesus would be far less of a problem then. And I said that if it were possible to permanently pull the teachings away from the actual man, there wouldn't be a church. For that matter, there's a good chance there wouldn't have been a crucifixion either. The tangible reality of Jesus' humanity was a problem inseparably linked as it was with his disturbing spiritual brilliance. Without the complete Jesus, Bill would not have been so spiritually stirred up walking into this space. He wouldn't have been awakened. He wouldn't have been captured by this problem. Jesus was a problem then, and he remains a problem today. He's a problem for both atheists and believers, because both have expectations and preconceived biases concerning his identity and how we should now think about him. But, you know, whether one is initially attracted or repelled by him, he simply refuses to be tamed, caged, or even stay dead for that matter. Many try to squeeze him into human puny constructs of one sort or another, but he does not fit. All the costumes we make for him are too small. And so, as it happened 2,000 years ago, his enemies had him killed while his closest friends abandoned him. And today the same business continues. Friend and foe alike try to dictate the terms of their relationship with this man who will not stay boxed. We regularly attempt to define, delimit who he is until it dawns on us that we have it exactly backwards. The real task is to allow him to define us. But you know, coming to that realization requires our own death of sorts.
It requires us to follow the model of his self-emptying. And you know, that that's, disturbs us. It's a problem. It's a really big problem. Best-selling author Kathleen Norris stumbled back into church after a, I think she said, 20-year hiatus. In her book, Amazing Grace, she reflected on the nature of her principal obstacle. She wrote, when I first began to attend church services as an adult, I found it ironic that it was the language about Jesus Christ, meant to be most inviting, that made me feel most left out. I often felt a void at the heart of things. My Christianity seemed to be missing its center. When I confessed this to a monk once, he reassured me by saying, oh, most of us feel that way at one time or another. Jesus is the hardest part of the religion to grasp, to keep alive. I told him that I probably feel Jesus' hand in things most during worship. Just a look around at the motley crew assembled in his name. She wasn't writing about you, of course, but take a look around. Myself among them, just a look around, myself among, lets me know how unlikely it all is. The whole lot of us, warts and all, just seems so improbable, so absurd. I figured that only Christ would be so foolish or so powerful to have brought us together. So Jesus is even a problem for those who are attracted to him. Strangely, I think that's as it must be. Given the story we tell these next seven days, Holy Week should be a big problem for Christians. Tracking the ignorance and cowardice of his friends and the fickle character of the crowds and the antics of the powerful is hard work if taken to heart because if we listen really closely, We'll hear a story about ourselves. It's easy enough to avoid, of course. The majority will, even majority Christians. It's perfectly human to avoid problems. In fact, that's one of our better skills, isn't it? Avoidance. Who could argue with that? But what millions have found over the centuries is that by not avoiding the story, by addressing the problem of Jesus, they become captured by something that blows their mind with a truth that's larger than anything they have ever known. To humbly walk the path Jesus walked, to accompany him on the last leg of his journey requires a certain sort of courage, I think. This is an invitation for you to be courageous. Bill struck me as a man of some personal courage because he was willing to entertain the idea that he could be wrong about some very big matters. I sensed in him a willingness to do the harder thing, to follow a path towards truth regardless of where it might take him. 
I told him that there was every reason to believe he was closer to the heart of the matter, to the problem of Jesus, than many folks around our nation who sat very comfortably in their pews, confident of God's favor, confident that they had God well boxed up, confident really that their Easter would require no crucifixion, no death, most especially their own. Thank you very much. As I've said, Jesus' enemies weren't the only ones who discovered he was a problem. When push came to shove, his friends decided to skip the really hard part. G.K. Chesterton wrote, courage is almost a contradiction in terms It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. That captures Jesus' last days, I think. Paul tells us Jesus should be our model. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant And being found in human form, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. I think having this very same mind is a really big problem for us. Now, we do have an advantage today over the original disciples. We know how the story turns out. Desmond Tutu, in the days of struggle and despair, back in the 80s, at the height of the worst of the apartheid regime, he was fond of saying, Hold on to your hope! I've read to the end of the book. We win! That is, the powers of darkness will not finally prevail. God will have the day. Love is stronger than death. I'm uncertain why we find it so hard to make the leap all the way into a hope that's stronger than death. Why we find that such a problem. Why would we rather hang on to our old stultifying scripts when the proclamation is heard that God has written a brand new one? And wow, it is something else. All we need do is leap into it with faith, making it our own as best we can and leaving the rest to God. That's what Jesus did. We just heard about that. And oh my, what a shocking surprise resulted. It leaves us speechless in wonderment.